This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash iFreaks. Hey, everybody, and welcome to iFreaks. We're recording this from the Microsoft Build Conference in San Francisco. We have James Zuber. Hello. I'm Andrew Madsen, and we're going to be talking to two people from the Windows Bridge for iOS project. Uh, why don't you introduce yourselves? Hey, guys. My name is Nick Gerard. I'm a program manager on the iOS Bridge project at Microsoft. And I'm Salman Ahmed. I'm also a program manager on the Windows Bridge for iOS project. Cool. So the, the Windows Bridge for iOS project is also called Project Islandwood. Project Islandwood. Nick, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what Project Islandwood is? Sure. So... The idea is if you're an iOS developer and you've got iOS apps uh, that you've written in Objective-C and you've spent years learning the ins and outs of Apple's frameworks like UIKit and Core Foundation and Core Graphics, the idea is that you can reuse large parts of that code base uh, and also all of your Objective-C development skills on Windows. So what we've done is we've built native support for Objective-C directly into Visual Studio. Uh, we have an Objective-C compiler and runtime on Windows that builds native UWP apps out of Objective-C code. And we've implemented large parts of the iOS API surface area on Windows so that you can tap into those same frameworks. And at the same time, you can also tap into Windows APIs and do things like use Live Tiles and Cortana, all from Objective-C, using a programming language you already know. Cool. So I, you know, we're an iOS development podcast. I've been doing Objective-C since 2005, something like that, uh, on the Mac first and then iOS. And, you know, a lot of our listeners are sort of in the same boat. They've been doing Objective-C for years. It, it's... For me, it's certainly the language I feel most comfortable writing. If you had told me five years ago that Microsoft was going to support Objective-C development for Windows, I would have thought you were absolutely crazy. So this is this is a, a really cool thing to me. It's uh, something that just the nerd, just the Objective-C nerd in me is happy about it. But also, I think it's really cool that, I, that there's actually a viable way for me to go target Windows without having to learn C-sharp or whatever. Yeah, it's very in line with this idea of meeting developers where they are, right? Let's not force them to learn a new language, force them to learn new tools. Let's say, okay, what do you have? Let's make it work. You know, let's put that to work for you, building UWP apps. Solomon, I don't want to cut you out. I don't know what is better for either of you to talk about. So if there's something that you, you know, like you feel more like talking about, just jump in. No, absolutely. And, and just to add a little bit to the point Nick was making, the great thing about some of the underlying Windows architectures is it is basically language agnostic. It really doesn't care. So we can do all sorts of fancy things like use strings. And when you're in the Objective-C world, you can treat them as normal Objective-C NS strings, but underneath the underlying representations, when you call Windows RT APIs, they just magically become H strings. So you're really not compromising. It's not like a trade-off. I'm choosing either to do Objective-C iOS sort of stuff, or I'm doing Windows stuff. They really are the same thing. Cool. So I'm curious about the the history of the project. How, how did this get started? Like, who, who was the first person in the meeting at Microsoft to say, you know what we want to do? 
We're going to do Objective-C on Windows. Who, how did that get started? It's a little simpler than that in a, in a sense. So we don't want to spend too, too much time here, but uh, actually we were part of a, of a startup in, in Canada who was building Objective-C support for different platforms. And in fact, Windows was one of them. And we were lucky enough to, to, to join Microsoft back in uh, August 2014. Okay. And, and I think Microsoft made the announcement. So I... I think I had heard that story a little bit, but I didn't know anything about the project until Microsoft had already acquired it and, and, and announced it. And that was was it last year at Build that they. So last year at Build, we announced the project. We announced the fact that the project had used to had been used to bring Candy Crush Saga to Windows. But as I said, we we originally came on board kind of August okay. of uh, 2014. And in that time, we spent a bunch of time actually doing the work to bring Candy Crush to Windows, uh, which came December of that year, and also just building out our Windows support. One thing that's cool about Project Islandwood is that it's all open source. So maybe now, now you know, with announcements yesterday and just with Microsoft for the past two years, maybe that's not such a surprising thing anymore, but still, it's a cool thing. So talk about that. Yeah, so we open sourced in August of last year, and we have been actually really excited with the uptake that we've gotten from the developer community. Uh, we have a lot of really engaged developers around the project. And I talked about this in the session yesterday, you know, Microsoft is, is making a, a real emphasis on open source right now, and it's obviously broadly important to the company. But it really is absolutely critical for us. It's really because we have to make those iOS APIs available to you on Windows, and because there are so many of them, there are always going to be missing features when you bring your code base over. There are going to be missing classes, or there are going to be missing methods or properties. The idea is to you know get the bulk of it up and running, and then sort out the details and have you extend it into the Windows platform from there. Uh, so because there are always going to be those missing things, it's really critical for us to be open source so that if we haven't done something, you can build it yourself and contribute it back to the community and then the whole project grows because of that. So a little, uh, getting into a little bit of my history here, in 2010 I was working on an iOS and a Mac app that, that used mostly shared code at work and it was sort of a project that I got for myself because I wanted to do it but then my boss came to me and said hey can you do a Windows version of that app and I was like well I've, this is all Objective-C and I found the Cocotron which is an open source project for Objective-C on Windows in fact um, and, uh, and, and it was sort of the same experience I actually got the app ported to Windows but there were parts of Co the Cocotron that were just not implemented and, and you had to go in and implement them yourself and it was a fun experience but it was also kind of a like well, the Cocotron's like one guy, and I'm like the second guy that's ever even tried, you know, I mean, not yeah. really, but there was nobody using it. And I think you actually have used some Cocotron source we in, do, in yes. Win Objective-C. Yeah. That's great. But it's nice now that we've got a company with the resources of Microsoft and, and a bigger community around this idea. Right. And we also have other partners, you know, Intel is, has been contributing. They contributed the uh, Accelerate framework. They contributed CoreMotion. You know, really, really great stuff. So, like, new stuff coming in from all kinds of different avenues. It's really cool. I'm, uh, I'm excited about this. Talk a little bit about, so s say I, I'm an iOS developer, I want to bring my app to Windows. How do I get started? Uh, what's, well, what's required right. to use this? So there are a few different ways you can go about it. And one of the things that we've actually done is, uh, you're an iOS developer, you've got a Mac, you might not even have a Windows machine. So what we've done is, on our website, you can either check us out on GitHub or on developer.microsoft.com. We have built evaluation virtual machines that you can download in any flavor of virtualization environment for Parallels, for VMware. Uh, they're pre-built with Windows 10, Visual Studio, and the bridge. Uh, so you can actually download them, you know, open it up, and run Visual Studio and Xcode side by side on one machine 
uh, and have a shared code base between them and compile it on one side for Windows and compile it on the other side for iOS. So you can actually do cross-platform development on one machine using Objective-C. I, I didn't know that at all. That, that's a little lower friction. I mean, I, I am, like you just said, I don't own a Windows machine. Right. I haven't owned one for a long time. I'm probably not going to go buy one just to play around because right. it was something I'm not sure about uh, but I do have I do have parallels so right so yeah so obviously you know if you're doing perf testing if you're doing fancy stuff with audio and hard and video you're going to want an actual yeah. Windows box but to just quickly get up and running see what the, the feasibility is of bringing your app over see how it works with the bridge how far it gets you uh, it's a really easy way to get started uh, and we also have uh, a whole bunch of samples and tutorials uh, and documentation up on our GitHub. You know, simple, so we, we did a blog post uh, a month or two ago, you know, bringing a simple to-do list app over. And we shared all the code and walked you through the process. Uh, we have a tool that takes an Xcode project and generates a Visual Studio solution for you. Uh, and it brings over all your classes and all of your, your folder structure. But it also actually brings over your storyboards oh, and your cool. zips. So uh, we have a tool called zip to nib that takes that XML and it generates Windows-compatible nibs with it so that all of that will be preserved uh, when you bring it to Google Studio. So you're even able to use your, your interface builder stuff on, yeah. on, yes. on Windows. That's pretty cool. So what are the challenges with that? I mean, going from interface builder to the nib, what's the Windows... I don't even remember anymore. Yeah, I used to do that, but yeah, what's the, what's the challenge? Is no, it's 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 very related to the to the base challenge of supporting uh, essentially iOS on Windows. The UI kit is huge. There are a huge number of controls. There are huge numbers of ways you can lay things out. Windows is just fundamentally different in some ways. I mean, you have keyboard and mouse input, which is less frequent on, um, I mean, you have a bit of keyboard with the, with the new iPads, but, uh, but mouse is not really a thing. And that, that workflow right now isn't super great, because if you do want to make tweaks to your zips, to your storyboards, you kind of are doing a bit of a, of a round trip. So we're working on ways to make that process better. Okay. But it's, it's, not, it's not completely seamless right now, but absolutely, if you, if you kind of know what you're doing, and if you see the value in the Windows platform, it works today. Okay. So say I do have a Windows box, and, I, uh, you know, or, and I've maybe done a little Windows development or whatever, but if, if you just go download Visual Studio, you get all of the Windows Bridge for iOS stuff that's just built into Visual Studio? Is yeah, so what you, what you have to download is uh, Visual Studio 2015, uh, Update 2, which, which we released like three days ago. Yeah. And then you actually go to our, our GitHub uh, repo, download the project from there, and then you essentially install the Windows Bridge 4 for iOS on top of Visual Studio. So it's not actually baked into VS right okay. now. Okay. Can you do this with uh, the free edition of Absolutely. Visual Studio? Absolutely, yes. Okay. Visual Studio Community Edition works great. Okay. I don't know if my conception here is wrong, if I've got this conceptually wrong, but I think of what you're doing as actually sort of two parts. You've got what I would call UIKit for Windows. I know that you have other frameworks besides UIKit, but it's sort of Cocoa for Windows. Uh, but you've also got... Objective-C is now a language for Windows development. Exactly. So. so the really cool thing about this is it's a bolt-on SDK. So you can use as much or as little of either side as you want to. Uh, and you have access to you know, iOS frameworks like UIKit and all of the other Cocoa frameworks. But you also have access to Windows Runtime APIs and UWP APIs. So you can do things like use XAML controls from Objective-C. And you can use XAML controls inside UIKit controls, inside XAML controls, 
uh, and they're all in the same view hierarchy. They're all rendered by the same compositor. They're all treated the same way by, you know, by the system. So we should step back a little bit and explain what XAML is. Our yeah, no, nobody knows. Okay. So, 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 iOS developers, so we know UIKit. You know, we got that down. But so XAML is your UIKit, is your Windows UIKit. You know, so instead of a uh, instead of a UI button, you know, you've got a XAML button. Okay. Uh, and you can put those right side by side, and they all look and feel at home on Windows. So you're bringing your iOS app over, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an iOS app, it's not a Windows app, it's probably not perfectly suited for iOS, just out of the box, and you want to make changes to, mm -hmm. to take advantage of Windows features, to use Windows UI, you can do that. You can do that, yeah. Cool. And, and to be clear, it's, it's not just UI, you know? Like, it's, it's, the, it's the full complement of UWP API, so you can pop toast notifications from Objective-C. You can, right alongside all of your other iOS code, you can tap into native Windows features. I, I saw your session on uh, a couple days ago talking about this, and you mentioned that you can use Cortana. Right. You could use Cortana in your right. Objective-C app. So that's uh, some cool stuff. I wonder, not being a C-sharp developer, not being a Windows developer, I probably don't quite know how to ask the right question, but how do you deal with... Uh, we, we just finished talking to Miguel about Xamarin and where they're reflecting Objective-C APIs into C-sharp, right? You're sort of going the other way, right? You're yes. reflecting these Windows APIs into Objective-C. How does that look? How do you deal with the, the mapping between um, APIs that are not for Objective-C? As far as how, how we work with Xamarin, or as opposed to how we do the projections? No, I mean, so I'm writing my Windows app in right. Objective-C. How do you, you know, do you pull APIs in so they feel like Objective-C APIs? So, so Objective-C is a strict superset of C, right? So you could, in theory, and, and we, we, had a, we had kind of a joke slide in our session yesterday, uh, you could, in theory, tap into all of those UWP APIs just using C, and you can go pop a toast notification, and it's like, you know, 25 lines of code. So what we've done is projected all of that into native Objective-C method calls. So, you know, that 25 lines of C code becomes three or four lines of Objective-C. That's, you know, totally, the syntax is familiar to the way that you're, you're used to working. Uh, and you can, you know, just look through the Microsoft documentation for all of the UWP APIs. They're all the same in Objective-C. Oh, cool. So, in other words, the answer to my question is yes. You yes. are making the APIs look yeah. like Objective-C APIs. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, not this, some crazy thing. Yeah, this uh, this goes back to uh, to what we were talking about a little bit before, how Windows, the kind of underlying platform, is really language agnostic. You can project Windows into virtually any language you want, and you can make those Windows APIs feel natural and feel correct right. for those languages. So if you're consuming it using Visual C++, it feels like a C++ API. And it's the same thing with, with our Objective-C projections. Cool. So, what are the challenges going from Objective-C, which is very dynamic runtime, with like your swizzling, all sorts of these things, and going to you know, .NET, which doesn't have that as much, or it's not as, I mean, there's some challenges with that? Or how, how did that work? We are using a, a, a rather modern, rather up-to-date 2.0 Objective-C, 2.0 compatible runtime. So all the Objective-C features you're kind of thinking of, so like categories, or things like that actually are supported in the Objective-C world. So if, if you do have an, an, an Objective-C projection of a class, yes, you can, you can add a category, you can tack methods on, onto that thing, and the Objective-C runtime kind of figures all of that out. Okay, so you're doing a, 
the, the runtime we use, by the way, is libobjc2, uh, which is an open source project. It's been around for a long. It's got a really long history on GitHub. It's a, it's a very robust Objective C2. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's okay. not something you wrote. But I yes. imagine you're contributing back if needed, needed or you, you as Microsoft doing this open source stuff. You're contributing stuff back. Yeah, to we are. Users, uh, right? One of our our engineers who who actually brought it up has has worked closely with the uh, with the lead author of that, and they have a great relationship. Yeah. They cool. go back and forth all the time. So absolutely. You talked about in your session a little bit about how you've done the work to make it so that, um, for I think the slide you showed, and I'm probably remembering the details slightly wrong, but you've got the you know you've got the UI kit event loop that's processing events with an NS run loop, and then Windows has a similar sort of construct with its own run loop, and how and you've made. You've done something yeah. to make those work. So, together. you know, UIKit wants to be in control, and XAML also wants to be in control. And what we've done is basically link them together. We've, we've put uh, XAML at the head of it. XAML gets events first. But since they're both event-based, whenever one of them drains their event queue, it yields to the other one. Uh, and whenever that one drains its event queue, it yields back to XAML. So whether you're, you know, touch events or whatever else, whether they're coming in from the UIKit side or the XAML side, they are all routed to the correct place. And the reason that's, that's actually super important is especially when you're talking about UI. You kind of want both UI worlds living in the same thread so that everything right. is in sync, all your animations, all your transitions. You wouldn't want all your XAML effects happening first and then like 200 milliseconds right. later all your core animation right. stuff happens. Right. All of that has to be in lockstep and sync and this was just a really great solution that, that some of our guys came with. You also showed a UI where you know you can have UI kit stuff in a in a view hierarchy with XAML so it's inside right. of a yes. XAML object and yes. then that XAML object's inside of a UI kit object. So you can just yep. mix and match them. Yep. It's not and like it's a window that shows your UI kit stuff and then right. they're not. Yeah, so this is very much you know, we're not we're not taking an iOS app and skinning it and you know there's no emulation going on here. There's no, there's no middle layer that's doing anything. It's really a, a native experience. And because of that, you have one compositor that's rendering, rendering all of the UI, whether that's coming from XAML or UIKit. You, know, you, have, you have one run loop, and you know, events get to the right place no matter where they came in from. From an implementation point of view, you making UIKit work on Windows, and you mentioned that there are you know, pieces of functionality that aren't there, and it's parts of UIKit. That seems like a huge task, and I'm sure you're not able to call up Apple and be like, hey, can you send me the source code for UI Table View? I need it, you know? <laughs> so how are you dealing with that? Well, fortunately, this is true of essentially any API set. Essentially, in, in providing documentation to tell people how to credibly and productively use an API, you've basically provided enough information and context for someone to actually implement that. And that's, that's essentially the, the, the approach we take. We, we look at, at, at publicly available sources, and yeah, once you use TableView enough, you kind of get a feel for the ins and outs of it, and so you just you write it up in terms of XAML, in terms of kind of Windowsy things, but you can preserve the, the, the behavior, you can preserve the layouts, you can even preserve some of the, some of the subtleties of it. That's also, you know, the pros of being open source, because, you know, we get issues files sometimes where it's like, hey, you know, you guys, you guys support UI table view, but I've gone and I've found this edge case where, you know, you have functionality that's different from our source of truth on the iOS side, and, you know, so we go back and we make that change, and we we get it to, to reflect what it should be on the iOS side. Right. And, so you, and if those guys are really awesome, they'll say, they'll do it. here's <laughs> a bug, and here's a pull request, yeah, and we love that, themselves. and it's great. So. so you, I mean, that's an, I guess that's another thing that makes your job easier, is that you can take a piece of code that works exactly how you want on iOS with UI table view, and then you run it in, you know, you run it as a Project Island project, oh, it doesn't do exactly what it's supposed to do. Well, okay, now you can dig in and, and right. actually fix it. 
we are in some ways an open source implementation of iOS sure. on Windows. Yeah. And I, I kind of hinted at this earlier, but I think when you very first launched on GitHub, I immediately went in and started kind of devouring your source code just because I was interested in it. And it seemed like you were pulling stuff from, you know, not everything that you're doing is stuff that you guys wrote. It's stuff that's been out there as open source. And so you really are sort of embracing, you know, open source as an yeah, idea. Yeah, again, I iOS is really big. And so the idea is to open up as many avenues as possible to bring in different parts of it. So, you know, like we have OpenGL, you know, that we brought in and put on Windows uh, so that if you have particle effects, if you have, you know, OpenGL-based animations, that will continue to work on Windows. So we have that stuff coming in from developers. We have that stuff coming in from other open source projects. As I said, corporate partners like Intel are contrib contributing frameworks. The idea is just to be as open as possible. I know you're expecting this question because we've been talking uh, uh, all about Objective-C. Of course, the big elephant in the room is Swift. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you can say about that? Yeah, so we, we actually announced at our session we will support Swift. Clearly, it's, it's the future of iOS. There's no doubt about that. Uh, so it's, it's obviously mission critical for us. The thing about it is it's still a pretty new language. You know, most of the apps that you use, uh, top 100 apps in the store, most of the code that's out there is still Objective-C. Most iOS developers are still Objective-C developers who are starting to, you know, dabble in Swift and figure out what's going on. And the language itself is really still developing, too. Apple hasn't guaranteed any kinds of backward compatibility yet. Uh, they've said that with Swift 3.0 coming later this year, that's going to be the baseline going forward, and they'll guarantee ABI resiliency and language stability after that. So that's really you know, what we're looking at. Once we get to that point, then it becomes a much more feasible thing for us to, to bring over to Windows. Well, um, and I, I, I imagine also the fact that Swift is now an open source project makes right. life much easier right. for you. Right, so Apple just open sourced it in December, so we're kind of combing through that and, and turning the gears uh, and working to get that over. But we, we, uh, we will support it on Windows. Right now, we are Objective-C only. So but the last point I think worth making is a lot of the work we're doing, if you ignore the, the, the quote, foundation right. work, is 100% applicable regardless of what our underlying language is. UIKit is UIKit, right. core data is core data, core animation is core animation, and so on. So a lot of the work we're doing will still be relevant when we add, add support for, for, for Swift. There's no, there's no wasted work here. Exactly. And, and obviously, you know, when we do support Swift, we, we want to continue to support Objective-C. It's, it's not going to be either or, it's right. going to be both. That's really good news. When you announced last year, Swift was already out, and my first question was, well, I am a hardcore Objective-C lover. Like, I will love Objective-C even if it's dead and buried because it's so much a part of my programming yeah. experience. But, you know, I've been doing Swift for the last six months, and I, I want to keep doing it. So that's, that's really It's, it's absolutely news. a cool language. It is, it yeah. is very much growing on me. I'm, I'm sort of like you. I, was, I am a big Objective-C guy, but... The more I kind of use it, I'm like, I, I like optionals. I like, yeah, yeah it's just, yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of a cool language. Absolutely. What apps are using this right now? You mentioned you helped port Candy Crush to Windows. We did, yes. What other apps are out there? Um, a few others. I'm actually not sure what what, what we are and, and aren't allowed to say on that front. Okay. But uh, certainly Algorithm, you saw the uh, the DJ uh, application during the, the session yesterday. And I'm sad. I, I, I had to leave the session early. You got to see their video. People it who listen, really, people really who cool. listen to the podcast know that I work. I, I write DJ software also, not for Algorithm for a competitor, sure. but just the fact that somebody's doing DJ software yeah. this makes me happy. So, um, so our our session, uh, our next session is uh, is online. So if folks just Google Channel Nine Microsoft and then look for Windows Bridge, they'll be able to see it. And uh, yeah, the last 12, 15 minutes or so, 
we had our, our algorithm uh, friends and partners on stage, and, and, and we asked them beforehand, just be completely honest, you know, speak about what worked, what didn't work, what you, ha- what they, what you had to hack around, etc. And, and they were great. They, they, they talked through the process, and they did announce that, that their application will be coming to Windows in, I think, June of this year. Right. So, so they, are, they are launching on the Windows Store later this year. And it's really, I, I highly recommend you go watch it, because it's really a good primer uh, on what's possible with the bridge. They, they, they totally open up about what their process was. You know, they talk about uh, how they first got up and running, they got stuff compiling, uh, how they found missing stuff, uh, how they had to if-def around certain things. And, how they worked you know, with us over GitHub. How they worked with us over GitHub and contributed code back. They really went into detail on, on their process and also, you know, what their practices were for sharing code because they are an OS X, iOS, uh, and Windows app now all using a shared Objective-C code base. So they talk about how you know they use different code design patterns to separate certain stuff out for different platforms. Uh, and also the cool thing about their app is you know it really kicks the tires. It really it really makes use of everything that iOS has to offer. Really heavy use of core audio uh, and core graphics and and, and OpenGL and KVO. It just, it, you know, it's a, very, it's a very performant app. It obviously needs to be, you know, like you've got DJs on stage. You can't, there can't be a delay when you trigger that sample. So it's really, it, it, it speaks to the power of what's, of what's possible here because we're putting that natively on Windows. I'm happy to hear that. I work on, like I said, I work on DJ software. Same sort of thing as what you've just described. And I've often thought, you know, when I see a solution that's, you know, any kind of tool around iOS, I always worry that it's designed for an iOS app that is a table view and a navigation controller, which is, you know, admittedly, like 90% of non-game apps or something like that, right? But it's not what I do. I, the stuff I work on has core audio and core animation and hardcore graphics stuff going on, and it's not, it's it's really exercising the system. So I, that's really cool. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. I, I, I wish I hadn't had to leave early, but now now I have a reason to go watch the video and finish it. So, so if you if you have an app, you've got an iPhone app, and you want to bring it to Windows, is this like a desktop app, or is it run on a Surface? Like, are these different types of apps? Or what do you have to learn in the Microsoft world to get your app out there? If someone is not really coming from a background as a Microsoft developer. Yes, at the super low level, the bridge does support both ARM32 and um, x86. So, so you can target. At that level, you can target your phones, you can target your, your surfaces, your tablets, your desktops, laptops, etc. At the higher levels, right. So, so this is. I, I just want to speak to that for a second because this is that's really cool, right? If you uh, if you have written an iPhone app, you know, with one form factor in mind, all of a sudden, all of these different form factors are open to you because that you know that's the promise of UWP. You write an app, and you know it'll run on phones, it'll run on desktops, it'll run on Surface books and tablets, etc. And that it, all of that applies here because these are UWP apps. So all of a sudden, you know, you have 270 million Windows 10 users <laughs> added to your potential user base, but you also have new classes of devices that you can build for uh, and that you can target. How do you deal with, you know, the average iOS app, especially if it's an iPhone app, not an iPad app, you know, or a universal app, but it's meant to run on a screen that's this big, and now you're using it on a desktop. How would a developer go about making that experience good? We have great auto layout support, for one. <laughs> okay. Uh, for for um, another, you can you can go back and you can add custom storyboards, and you can create custom zips for your Windows experience. So if you wanted to run it on a 55-inch uh, Surface Hub, you could absolutely go back and, in principle, lay things out appropriately such that it looks good for that experience. And it's not going to be a zoomed-in iPhone app, right? That's we do support because- that. We, I yes, mean, if you, you really want to, we can just we can just blow it up and make uh-huh. it look, right. make it look huge. But yeah, the goal is to is to really not 
be sort of a, a turnkey kind of one-click solution, right? Because that actually doesn't create a good Windows application. You just end up with an iPhone app running on a 55-inch Surface yeah. Hub. That's not great. It's a, it's a help you kind of reduce that time to market or that time to store, help you reuse as much of your code and your skills as possible. So like what type of concepts should an iPhone developer know about Windows? Like different kind of controls that they might want to drop in? I mean, yeah, I mean start with thinking about what form factors and devices you want to go to. It all essentially stems from there. So we've, we have internal samples where we've taken iOS apps and actually got them running on, on say, Xboxes. And again, you have a very different set of, of sort of input constraints because you have like a game controller and you have like a, a screen that's much further away than, than with the iPhone. So really start about, start thinking about where you want to get your application. And then, per the point we made at the, um, the session yesterday, get it building, get it working, and then, I mean, developers are smart people, right? You kind of know what the interaction is from there and you know your code, so just kind of work with it, modify it, and build the experience that you're really happy with for the form factor okay. you're targeting. So it, would, it, would, it would be great if there were a magic button that could take an iPhone app and turn it into something that could run on an Xbox and do all the translation between those different you know, interaction models for you. But you know, that's what you do as a developer. You, know, you think about like, how are people actually using this? How are they actually using this particular device? So the, the idea is really to get you quickly up and running with the code you have and then allow you to use the skills you have to target that platform. I remembered what I was going to say, which is that I think the funny thing is I, I do a lot of Mac development, and as a Mac developer, uh, Mac developers, especially just in the last few weeks, are kind of for a long time have been saying, bring UIKit to the Mac. We like UIKit better than AppKit. Uh, turns out now, if you have a UIKit app and you want to make it into a desktop app, uh, you're probably it's probably easier now to make it a Windows <laughs> to make app. Yeah. Somewhat ironic, of irony I know. Is, yeah. I know. I know AppKit is kind of weird. I'm not. A, I'm not a huge fan of AppKit. But yeah. Well, it is what it is. Yeah, I'm an AppKit. I I, I was an AppKit developer before UIKit was you know public. So sure. I, I like AppKit. But it's a funny world we live in, and it's interesting. <laughs> I have a lot. I have a lot of questions, but I don't know if they're any good. Go for it. Oh, please. So we we joke about Jay asks the relevant questions. I just ask the nerdy <laughs> questions and do anything. It was both. It was any. Yeah. yeah. We are open source, so there's very little we can hide. Yeah. Like it's it's, yeah. it's all out there. So, for example, so you're porting your iPhone game to the Xbox. One difference would be like the keyboard input, you know, going, you know taking a, a string of some sort. Sure. In Xbox, you got different control. So that wouldn't transfer directly. Absolutely. That's correct. Yes. Okay. So you, what patterns do you use to kind of keep your code sane versus doing a bunch of if-defs everywhere if you've got different, different uh, work, workflows for what you're trying to get? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's basically two or three big ones. One is um, you can have platform-specific source files. So you can have certain .m, .mm files that are, that are only included in your Visual Studio project and not built along with your, with your iOS, iPhone, iPad uh, application. But honestly, good old ifdef is, is, is kind of the right thing in, in, in a lot of situations, especially where you just want to swap out individual controls based on context. So instead of having like a... Uh, uh, UI date picker. You want like a Windows UI XAML date picker in place. Honestly, the easiest way to do that, if, if, if you built your, your UI programmatically, good old ifdef and just, and just block it out. So again, it, it really depends. We see a lot of source code written by a lot of different um, application developers and it, and it runs the gamut. You have the super clean, super well architected, you know, proper encapsulation of things to just these hodgepodges of people just keep hacking at things until they work. So it, it's, 
strict guidance is really, really hard to give other than, yeah, you can have platform-specific source files, you can have if-defs, you can do runtime checks, you know, you can check for selectors or you can check for the existence of classes and kind of determine things that way. But ultimately, it's, it's, it's really your code, it's your project, you know it best, and the kind of promise we make is, is, is we'll make that whole process easier. It's not going to be turnkey, it's not going to be magic, right. We're going to make it easier. What are, what are some and of the algorithm also talked about some of their best practices yes. for how to for how to do that in the session. So again, if you if you want to check out the session, they, they ran through what their process was for doing precisely that. What what are some of the roadblocks people are going to encounter that they may, may not be expecting? I think a lot of the roadblocks quote roadblocks are going to come from this idea that it is going to be a turnkey solution and that every conceivable UI controller, every conceivable API is going to work. And unfortunately, the project is, is still pretty early stage. And as Nick talked about in, in the session yesterday, I mean, iOS is huge. It's absolutely massive. Huge and growing. Huge, huge and growing, and growing absolutely. all the time, yeah. But, but if, you, if you approach the project with this sort of mindset that I'm going to reuse a bunch of my code and then do incremental work to make the experience better and more native for Windows, then it's absolutely a useful proposition. If you want the magic button, unfortunately, I don't think we will ever get there. Yeah, well, I've never seen a magic button solution that really actually worked well. So right. exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. The, see, that's exactly the thing. You could do the magic button solution, and you could take an iPhone app, you know, and run it through some kind of middleware layer, and you know, put it on Windows and say that it's a Windows app. You know, that really sucks. That sucks for your users. They're using something that was designed for a different platform. It sucks for you as a developer because. Uh, you wouldn't get to take advantage of Windows stuff. Uh, the idea is, you know, let's let's leverage what you have, but you know, you have you have to see the value in, in, in the Windows proposition in the first place. You know, let's get you to build uh, for Windows devices like Surface Books. You know, we'll veer into some of my nerdy questions now. So, do you guys support Objective C plus plus? We do. Does that work? We yes. do. Or yes. also just pure C plus plus sources in? Yes. 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 I don't know why I wanted to know that, other than the stuff I work on has. No, I, I mean our our, our compiler uh, front end is is still Clang, right. and 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 Clang is perfectly happy to consume C, C plus plus, Objective C, Objective C plus plus, happily. Yes. So talk about that a little too. How is it that you're able to compile Objective C and have it run on a Windows box? So on the iOS side, you know you've got Clang as your as your compiler front end and LLVM as your compiler back end. Visual Studio uses C1, Microsoft we call it C1 as our compiler front end, and C2 is the compiler back end. So what we've done is take Clang. Clang is an open source project. You know, we dove right into it, taking Clang, and we've essentially bolted it onto C2 by taking that LLVM intermediary representation and basically building a, a, a little bridge that converts that into uh, something that C2 can understand. And then what you get out of that is a truly native UWP binary that's you know indistinguishable from an app that you wrote in C Sharp or anything else. So it's there's no it's not some sort of weird emulation layer going right. on. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. We talked about this a little bit before, but you're implementing these UIKit APIs. You know, behind the scenes, you've somehow got got to get things on the screen. So, are you implementing? Say, you know, you're, you've got an implementation of UIView. I could go read the source and figure out you know, how you're gonna, how you're doing this, but um, what does it take to actually, you know, have a draw rect in a UIView subclass get drawn to a Windows screen instead of a, you know? So, so we use the XAML compositor, and it doesn't really care where any of that stuff is coming from. Whether it's coming from core graphics, you know, you're using DrawRect, or whether it's coming from, uh, you know, XAML panels. panels. So, 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 
you know, UI views are backed by CA layers, and CA layers do all of the heavy lifting of rendering to screen and knowing how things uh, actually get you know, printed out. The same concept applies on Windows. If you have a XAML view, uh, it's backed by a XAML panel, uh, which is the direct analog to a CA layer. So what we've done uh, is taken UI views and backed them essentially by, by XAML panels, and so it all gets treated the same by the compositor. Interesting. It's just kind of blowing my mind to think about um, switching out this stuff that I've been familiar with for a long time, and now it's suddenly doing its magic on Windows. Yeah, and the cool, you said you're a Mac developer, too. Right. So one of the cool things about Algorithm is, you know, they had a Mac code base because they were founded in 2006 before iOS was a thing. And then iOS came along, and they extended that code base and started building for iOS as well. They had already done, they already had, you know, if defs to check for Mac OS or to check for iOS. They had already had a, a code structure set up where they were sharing code between two platforms. So it was, I don't want to say easy, but it was easy for them to add in a, a, another platform and say, you know, now let's just check when we're on Windows too. And most of the time, they're agnostic about whether they're checking for iOS or Windows. It's, it's the same because they're using the same frameworks. Um, but every once in a while, they have to separate something out and say, you know, if on the Windows side, do this, and if on the iOS side, do that. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that we should really cover. Is there anything else you guys think we should talk about that we haven't? I think we're, we're, you know, we're getting kind of yeah. close to... I mean, we talked about the open source aspect. We talked yeah. about... We plugged the talk, which I think... I, I really do think so, folks should watch. To bring that up again, I was I was thinking about that when we first started recording. The talk is not you don't have to have been a build attendee, right? So anybody can go That's find absolutely that. Absolutely correct. Okay. It's, it's on the public internet. We'll put a link to that in our show. And we notes. also we also had a channel nine Q and A uh, with Twitter yesterday that you can go. You know, we, we were taking oh, questions great. in and, and uh, answering them, uh, and that's also up there, so you can go. Okay, we'll, well. we'll get links to those for the yeah. show notes so everybody can watch them because I want to watch. I, I definitely want to finish the session out. All right. Well, should we get to picks? Let's do it. Okay. For these build shows, we're not doing our own picks because we'd have to come up with like a million of them for all these shows we're doing. So we're just going to ask you guys. Uh, uh, top of mind. Yeah. First pick that comes to mind: uh, Tesla Model Three. Oh, that was going to be mine. <laughs> that's, that's, I've context switched everything else out of my brain, yep. and I, I have to. And that's it. I have to tell you guys, you're not the first. We had somebody <laughs> not on. The first to pick it. We had somebody uh, on last night who picked the I'm such Model a Three. So did you? I know. <laughs> we're, we're walking cliches. Did I'm you sure. put your? Uh, your reservations in? These are called plus one picks. So. <laughs> uh, no, ne- neither of us were online. We were at, we were at Build. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. I do have friends and, in fact, family who are, who are very close to getting their, their Model Xs. Uh-huh. So I'm super excited about, uh, about uh, actually driving in one of those. But no, I've not yet put my Model 3 deposit yet. i much better friends with them. Exactly. <laughs> I, I have a friend who was like second in line at the dealership um, to get his reservation in yesterday morning. And oh, for the 3? For the, how for many, the Model how many 3. How days in advance was he there? He got there, I think he said he got there at 2 a.m. Uh, the morning before, but the guy who got there first had been there... Since 8 a.m. the previous day, so 24 hours. Yeah, so it reminds me of when I lined up for the original iPhone. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, someone took a took a video of the of except the Tesla it was sight unseen. Yeah, except, except we've yeah. never even seen the thing. But no, the 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 queues even outside the uh, the Bellevue Tesla store were just this madness, like yeah. hundreds of meters yeah, long. It's insane. And I saw the I saw well I actually didn't see it last night, but this morning I saw the you know now that they've actually shown it. It looks like a cool car. It does. Sort of shades of like Aston Martin in certain lights. It's It's a a beautifully designed car. And it's $35,000 instead of, I don't even know how much the Model S is, but more. More (laughs) more than I can afford, I guess. 
All right, guys. Well, um, I really appreciate you coming on. I've been so excited to talk to you ever since I found out I got to talk to you, so I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks Thank for having you. us. Great. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.